Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest. We just have a conversation talking about their life, their work. These are people who founded apostolates. They've obeyed the Lord's call to be a priest or a deacon. Maybe they're an artist, an architect, a musician. Maybe they're working in the church to feed the poor and help the hungry and the needy. We have so many different guests with so many different backgrounds. I have a very unusual guest today. His name is Jared Zimmerer. He's the father of four, a young man who's the adult faith formation director for a parish in Texas. Uh, He's also the author of two books and a bodybuilder, and he's doing bodybuilding for Jesus, as far as I can make out. Jared, welcome to More Christianity. Thank you, Father. I'm happy to be here. Jared, you have written your first book called The Ten Commandments of Weightlifting. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been involved in powerlifting and, and bodybuilding for about 13 or 14 years now, and it's just a very deep passion of mine, and I see how the correlation of the proclamation of the faith and using the analogies of weightlifting and bodybuilding can really help people to truly understand the person of Christ. And so uh, that first book is basically to be able to offer some advice and, and, um, and, and what have you on how to intertwine your faith with our fitness routines. But you're also the adult faith formation director for a Catholic parish. So are you kind of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of catechists? Is, is that? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've been called that, actually. You have? Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, today on More Christianity, we're talking to the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Catholic catechists, Jared Zimmer. And um, I guess nobody messes around in your RCIA course then, do they? That's exactly right. I'll you're just right. challenge them to a uh, push-up contest. <laughs> okay. So your first book is called Ten Commandments of Lifting Weights, and you've just come out with a second uh, book called Man Up, Becoming the New Catholic Renaissance Man. For some reason, you asked me to contribute a forward to it. I was happy to do so. How's the book been received? It's been received very well. A lot of interest, uh, especially in the idea of a Catholic Renaissance man. I think that's kind of a, a newer idea um, for, for men in particular. And, uh, and the, you know, one of the biggest things that I've noticed is men are very excited to see a book. There's so many wonderful resources for fatherhood, being a good husband. But this one specifically helps define what does it mean simply to be a man? What is a foundational aspect of, of being a man? And so it's been wonderful. It really has. And what is your definition of a Catholic Renaissance man? For some of our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, what is a Catholic Renaissance man? Well, there's two definitions to even the word Renaissance. One is that you're bringing back something that hasn't been popular in a very long time. You're having like the, the Renaissance of art that happened in the Middle Ages and things like that. And so a Renaissance man it's somewhat of a different definition. It's somebody who has such a, a solid ideological foundation of a lot of different areas of humanity, and so he's someone who can contribute something to a discussion of philosophy. He can talk about Christ in front of others. He can lead a group in prayer while at the same time might be a hunter, or he might be an, an exercise physiologist, or he might be, you know, many different things, and in that way you become that much more of a better evangelist. You, you follow the words of, of St. Paul who says, become all things to all people. And that's what, exactly what the new Catholic Renaissance man it should be. So a man who's a, a master of me, many different disciplines, this is a guy who's not only physically fit, but spiritually fit and mentally fit. He's got a good education. He's articulate. He can talk about issues in the world. Hey, I want to be one. So <laughs> your, your book is going to help me to do that. And I think 
I, I can put my hand up, Jared, and say that we're talking about being spiritually fit, mentally fit, and physically fit. I'm approaching one of those, the mental one, I think, but spiritually fit, I've got a journey to go on, and physically fit, we don't want to go there. <laughs> so... <laughs> so you had, for, for the book Man Up, you were wise enough to get lots of different contributors. Tell us a little bit more about the other guys who, who contributed a chapter to your book. Yeah, absolutely. Many of your listeners have probably heard of, you know, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, you see on EW, EWTN very regularly. Jesse Romero is a very prolific speaker. Um, Father Steve Gruno, the CEO of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Dr. Kevin Vost, who I believe now has 12 books under his belt. Marlon De La Torre, um, Shane Kapler, Jim Burnham, who has done some work with Catholic Answers. So a pretty wide array uh, of men, and I wanted to find men who came from dem- different demographics, who came from different expertise, because to truly define what a Renaissance man is, you have to bring a group of men together, because that's what it's all about, is finding this overall, what does it mean to be a man? A one man cannot truly define that. It takes a group of men to follow in the imitation of Christ. You know, it's funny how it all works out. I actually originally uh, called my, my good friend, his name is Dr. Kevin Vost, and I, I promoted this, or I, I kind of gave him this idea, and uh, he threw out a couple names, and it just kind of grew from there. It was uh, pretty amazing, the, the graces that, that have come along the way, and of course, including your, your awesome forward uh, to, to kind of be the, the icing on the cake. So coming together of this all-star team, I guess you could say. That's great. Now, that really interests me, your observation, which I have to admit I've, I've never really thought of before, is that our manhood, our masculinity, is in many ways completed and fulfilled and filled out by belonging to a, a men's group. It's belonging to a team, belonging to a, a gang, belonging to a, an apostolate, a presbyterate. And men do this. They congregate. They get together whether it's sitting on the back porch for a, a beer and, and some cigars or going to the football team or joining the baseball team or whether it's being a soldier. And I hadn't quite seen it like that before, but this is, in a way, is God's way of bringing us together, strengthening each one of us as individuals, knowing that in some mysterious way, I, I mean, am I taking this too far? But I, I'm seeing here, Jared, a kind of spiritual chemistry, a, a personal chemistry that develops as we actually go in and, and join a group with other guys. Is, is that what you're, you're saying? You're absolutely right, and what we're doing is actually following in the model of Christ, because that's what Christ did himself whenever he joined together the Twelve Apostles. Right. Um, and I, and I, I'm a big fan of the theology of the body, and so you have to look at some of the natural instincts that we have, and one of those being is, as you said, we join teams, we join the military, we join groups. Um, there's something fulfilling in a man's soul and a man's heart of being able to lean on other men and even go possibly to war, whether that's spiritual, physical, or whatnot, together. Right. Uh, brothers in arms, joining a cause together, joining the, a, a faith and a belief together, and thereby strengthening one another. Now, that, the other thing which, which intrigues me about this idea, Jared, is that without that, we're weaker for, for not belonging to a group. And this goes counter to this kind of individualistic age we live in. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm quite interested in literature and, and the arts and so forth. And there's this kind of 19th century image, isn't there, of the the romantic artist, the unusual person uh, who's superior to everyone else, who, mm-hmm. you know, walks his own lonely path and, and holds his head high. I mean, let's face it, that's really kind of dumb, isn't it? 
<laughs> yes, and, and we as a people are meant to be communal. Yeah. Um, I always find it interesting, you know, when St. Benedict became a hermit went to the cave, people went to him. They right. found him, and that was God's grace of bringing, you know, that grace is supposed to be shared, and men are not supposed to be completely alone, and so you end up with monastic communities that grew out of that, and as much as we desire sometimes to be very individualistic, that's not how we were created to be. And I, I'm a Benedictine oblate of uh, Belmont Abbey, and um, this is one of one of the men's groups I've joined, I guess, and I have written a book on a couple of books on St. Benedict's rule, and he says in the rule, there's a chapter on what you need to do to be a hermit. To be a hermit, you probably know this already, Jared, but St. Benedict says before man can go off to the hermitage, he has to spend most of his life in the monastery first, in the community. And it's only after learning to live in community with the other guys that he is allowed to have the kind of luxury of going off by himself and being the hermitage. Yes, uh, and, it's kind of a, a rite of passage, if you will. Right. Uh, so, we, we learn who we are by that community of men. Right. And, and that gives us the strength uh, then to go off into solitude and into the monastic life. Well, Jared, you're also a father of four, and you are working in a parish, proclaiming and living the Catholic faith. And you do this along with your ministry, which is called Strength for the Kingdom. That's a special ministry which is uh, helping to work with men and, and uh, speak to men's groups, I suppose. Tell me a little bit more about that. What is, what is Strength for the Kingdom? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, the, the inspiration came about from when Christ was asked, where is the kingdom? He said, that it's here and now. We, we talk about the second coming and, and things like this, um, but really, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's literally right here. And so I'm a big proponent of physical health as well as mental and spiritual health. And so the idea of strength for the kingdom, well, for myself, I'm a father of four. I'm a husband. As I take care of my body, I'm that much better to, able to carry out my mission of being that father and a husband. I'll have the extra energy. I'll have the extra strength to do the difficult things. And so what Strength of the Kingdom was about is basically to introduce this idea of a new asceticism, basically bringing about building our bodies for the mission that God has given us. We do get some interesting guests here at More Christianity, this weekly program is where we just have a conversation with a fellow Catholic week by week on their apostolate, the work that they're doing to serve God. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and you're listening to More Christianity. Jared Zimmer is my guest today. He's the author of Ten Commandments of Lifting Weights and now Man Up, Becoming the New Catholic Renaissance Man. Jared, you're working there in Texas in a parish. You're a husband, a father, as you've said, and this ministry of strength for the kingdom I wonder what you think about Jesus' words about the kingdom, saying the meek shall inherit the earth and so forth. I'll tell you, it sums it up in some of those stained glass windows you see of Jesus, where he's got sort of long shoulder-length hair, and it's been combed really nicely, and he's wearing beautiful robes that look like they've been made out of his grandmother's curtains, and he maybe has a little lambkin on his shoulders. And don't you think he's a little bit limp-wristed, a bit of a panty-waist Jesus? Yes, I would have to argue, argue that point, absolutely. Um, you know, and I do think that that came about from sort of this fallen ideology of, of ignoring the masculinity of Christ, um, ignoring the fact that there is a relevatory aspect to the fact that he was literally physically a man. Right. There's much more to that than most people realize. And so when I see those kinds of pictures, I, I just kind of have to giggle because I don't think that's the way he was. He was raised in a household by a carpenter for 30 years in a pretty rough area. 
I highly doubt that he was basically kind of a soft GQ model. That just isn't how it works. <laughs> well, a metrosexual. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or the new one, uh, spornosexual. Yeah, actually, I, did a, word. I just did a blog post on spornosexual and I uh, had a fair bit to say about new narcissism. And we can come on to that in just a minute, but I want to go back to the panty waist Jesus. This is really indicates a theological fault. As you said, they don't give true weight to Jesus as a man. They also don't give true weight to Jesus's humanity. And this is a, a typical historical heresy in which Jesus is so much the divine Jesus that they forget the human Jesus. And I think what artists are trying to do is they're trying to portray Jesus as a man, but somehow or other they have to show him to be holy, to be the Son of God. And by holy, they mean pious, and by holy they mean, yeah, effeminate, because they associate the Christian virtues with being meek and mild and gentle, and Jesus takes the little children up to his lap and says, you know, let the little children come unto me, and unless you become like one of these. They forget all those bits in the New Testament where Jesus is, is says, I come not to bring peace but a sword. And, you know, he's pretty firm about an awful lot of stuff, and he's he's not the, the sort of sissy Jesus we see everywhere. And I'm so glad for your ministry. Is this one of the things you're trying to, to address, uh, the crisis in masculinity in our culture? Absolutely. And I try to use the tangible aspect of either lifting weights or just simply physical activity, uh, you know, getting out in the woods, doing those kinds of, you know, working on cars, whatever it is that you're, you specifically talks to your personality, but guys getting back to having rough hands and being able to work for their, their mission, oftentimes that takes something very tangible to do so. And so in large part, I want Strength for the Kingdom to kind of be a, a, a ministry focused on building virtues from these tangible aspects of life. I love it. You know, one of the other problems with our computerized world is we sit around in easy chairs all the time gazing at the screen. I do. I've got my blog. I've got my books to write. I've got my work to do. And there's a different chemistry that happens. One of the things that I do to work with my hands, and I, should, I wish I'd do this more, is I like to sculpt to get some oh, clay and make stuff and get, get my hands in there and, and do this, make this stuff. And um, when I do, my mind works in a diff- completely different channel. Is that one of the benefits of physical work, physical exercise, that your, your mind also is, is operating differently? Absolutely, and, and I honestly think that that's, that's a grace moment because there are times when you're, say, like for myself, I, mean, I, I lift weights. When I'm lifting weights, there are times that your mind is so much more open to philosophical thought and even the possibility of a conversation with God himself. And I kind of make the case for that in this book in the fact that Christ was raised by a carpenter. He, so he was raised to do physical labor, and that's how he was raised to be a man. And so during those times of laborious work, it can be very a spiritual experience for you as well. The ability to kind of shut off all of the stress and all of the craziness that happens in life and just do what's in front of you and try to be there in Christ's presence. That's very powerful for men. Yeah, well, let me tell you some of the experience that I have with that, because everybody's gifted in a different way, Jared. If I'm given something to do around the house, like let's say put up a set of shelves, one of the spiritual lessons I learned from that is is the lesson of sin and repentance. (laughs) So when the shelves fall down, I I say, okay, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and let's let's try again. Jared, you're a bodybuilder and you're a fitness expert. You know, one of the things that troubles me is these pictures of Jesus in stained glass windows or wherever with Jesus with long blonde hair. Absolutely. I just have a hard time believing that he looked like a 
Fabio, basically, uh, with the, the long, flowing blonde hair. That's yeah, what they call a, a metrosexual, right? Exactly. Yeah, and uh, metrosexual, as I understand it, is a guy who's he's not going to be gay, but he's going to wear eyeliner and do makeup and maybe have a Botox treatment, right? So, yeah, and, absolutely. He's so and, involved in himself. And he has more shoes than his girlfriend, right? Yeah. And um, yeah. now there's a new term out. It was actually coined by the same guy. He's a British journalist called Mark Simpson. And he's saying now the metrosexual has evolved into the spornosexual. Did you see that? I did. I did. I, th- I found that very interesting. And spornosexual, what the guy's done is he's combined the words sport and porn with sexual, and he's basically saying these are muscle-building, bodybuilding people who have taken one step on from the metrosexual in which they're, he actually says they're idolizing their bodies and, and, and they've, they're primping and pumping and and plucking and presenting themselves as, you know, male body beautiful. This is kind of like narcissism, isn't it? Looking at yourself that much and primping that much? Yes, absolutely. I would say that that's the completes the definition of narcissism. And, and that's one of the fallen areas that stemmed from the bodybuilding world that is now much more part of our culture that I'm hoping to help heal because it's turned from taking care of yourself for, for health reasons and for the, the use of the muscles into purely about the image. I do believe, though, that there's something to be said about the fact that when you do exercise regularly, your body does become more proportionate. So there is definitely something from our own nature, God put in us to, to become that way, but they took it about four or five steps way too far and became only about the image, even to the point of taking outside things such as Botox or laser hair removal or these other things to the point where they almost are a danger to themselves. Right, and so their vanity and their self-love, their narcissism is triumphing because I guess, I don't know, maybe they don't have any, anybody else to worship, anything else to worship, so it's, it's a worship of self. And this is something in our age which has been twisted. Your, your books, Man Up, Becoming the New Catholic Renaissance Man, and obviously combining that with physical fitness, is trying to counter all that and saying, look, it's, it's more than just the bodybuilding. We're talking about spirit building and mind building and becoming a great all-around Catholic man. That's what you're aiming for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there, there's so many wonderful stories of these young men who were aimless, were getting into drugs and alcohol, gangs, different things like that, and they found the weight room, and the weight room turned their life around. Mm -hmm. And I consider that that's a grace moment. Whether they knew there was grace involved, probably not. But it still was an opportunity for them to turn their life around and have self-discipline, have self-knowledge, and those kinds of things. And unfortunately, it's been twisted into this culture of narcissism. One of the things you mentioned, Jared, is this term you coined here called new asceticism. Asceticism, so our listeners understand, is a certain element in the Christian tradition of spirituality in which we practice self-denial in some way. Of course, fasting is a form of asceticism. Going on a pilgrimage used to be a form of asceticism because the journey was so long and hard. I always look around at our current society and see people who are willing to endure great asceticism for physical fitness, but they don't seem to have any discipline or any desire to use a kind of self-discipline for prayer and development of their spiritual or their mental lives. How do you bring those together? By basically helping them realize the full potential of that ascetic act. In fact, it's interesting, many of the strength coaches that I've spoken with, 
when I bring up the idea of asceticism, they've never heard of it, but once they kind of explain the fact that it's disciplining the body in order to train the will. So a person lifts weights, he eats a certain diet. That is to discipline yourself so that in, for, for the rest of the future, you can continue that same practice. So I use the idea of asceticism to basically discipline the body in order to strengthen the soul. This is going to be really helpful for people because a lot of Catholics don't understand the point of asceticism. The Church says you have to fast on Fridays. Yeah, what for? You have to fast during Lent. What's the point of that? What's missing in our modern society is this link that earlier peoples, I think, understood that what you do with your body affects your soul, what you do with your soul and your mind affects your body. So how does that actually work? What's the chemistry? When I fast, when I work out, how could that affect my spirituality? Part of the reason there's a disconnect today between asceticism and spirituality is this kind of trickle-down effect of the, the platonic dualism, the idea that we are kind of this soul trapped inside of a shell that is, that is made of flesh, and, and part of our mission is to basically get the soul out. Um, they don't see the fact, like what the Catechism says, that the, the body and the soul are one in the same. And so really, whenever you're training your body or you are eating a certain diet or you're giving up certain things, in that way, you are affecting your soul. You're building virtues. That's what it all boils down to. Right. So this is really, really profound stuff. We're saying to our listeners, brothers and sisters, you are not just this invisible soul which happens to inhabit a physical body kind of like, um, you know, a candle flame inside a lamp or something like that. And this is a deeply Hebrew idea as well as deeply Christian. Your soul and your body are intermeshed. They're inseparable. That's why we believe in the resurrection of the body, because the body and the soul can't be divided. So if you're saying, Jared, that disciplining the body helps to discipline the soul, presumably it also then follows that you do bad stuff to your body, you're going to suffer spiritually. Is that so? That's exactly right. You do bad stuff with your body and you build vice. You do good stuff with your body and you build virtue. Okay. Uh, that's That's simply the nature of the beast. Right. So if I am using my body wrongly in a sexual way, if I'm using my body wrongly with gluttony, with um, drunkenness, with any of the physical sins, my eternal soul is affected. You're absolutely right. And that's part of, once again, uh, going back to this idea of dualism that our, our culture has fully grasped, is that you know my body is my own, I can do with it as I wish, and they don't even see how as they treat their body is really treating themselves. It's something detached from who they really are. And so they can just use it as they wish, whether that's for money or whatnot. They feel that they can just use it. And that gets back to the wrong idea so many Catholics and Christians have, that the rules and the regulations of the Catholic Church saying, you know, the seven deadly sins, you lust and greed and gluttony and sloth, all these physical things, a lot of Catholics think, oh, that's just a list of bad stuff that the church has given us because, well, I guess it's their business to give us bad stuff to avoid. They think of them as arbitrary sins, bad stuff you can't do, which doesn't really have much meaning. And I guess we try to avoid them because we're Catholics and we're not supposed to do them. And what you're really saying is that, no, 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 they're bad for a reason. They're bad because they're bad for you. Gluttony and lust and and all these things they actually are bad for you, not only because they affect you badly physically, but they actually affect you negatively in your eternal dimension, in your soul. 
and this is really important for people to understand, that the church doesn't just dish out a list of sins in an arbitrary way, that every sin that we see is a, is a hindrance to our becoming the fully functioning, abundantly living followers of Jesus Christ that he actually expects. Jared, have you looked at all into the relationship between Christian asceticism and the asceticism of Eastern religions? I have. I've looked into the Hindu practices that they had, ascetic practices, and we as Christians have quite the amazing history of, of, of great asceticists that we can emulate. I know some of them from my study of monasticism. One of my favorites is St. Simeon Stylites, who lived on top of a 30- or 40-foot pillar in the Syrian desert for about 50 years. In those early days of monasticism, there was a kind of anti-physical dimension, which is the other side of this narcissism we were talking about, in which I think some of the early Christian ascetics felt that the body had to be punished because it was bad. That's not really the true understanding, is it? It's not, and, and that does go back to that platonic dualism of this idea that our soul is trapped inside of a sinful body. Um, and in fact, many of the ascetic practices, you have to, not, I'm not questioning their sanctity by any means, but you have to question, well, how did that help them fulfill their mission that the Church offers, which is evangelization? For example, the man that lived on the, the pillar, that may have worked for him, but that can't necessarily be used broadly. There's not a lot of people who could give up their lives and go do that, just like there's not a lot of people that could go two years by simply eating the Eucharist. I mean, I think that's absolutely beautiful, and we have amazing saints who have done that, but how can we apply the principles that they were living out broadly to the rest of the Catholic faith and the rest of the Catholic people in the pews and allow them to take part in these great ascetic practices without necessarily damaging the body, but rather building it? And St. Benedict teaches that we give things up, we practice asceticism for a particular reason, in order to gain control of our will, in order to submit our will to God. Whenever we discipline our bodies, we learn a little bit more self-discipline, a little bit more self-control, a little bit more self-mastery in order to use that to accomplish God's will in the world. So, Jared, in your books, are you giving people practical pointers on how they can actually use the keep fit programs and the keep fit regimes that they may be following already to, to bolster their spiritual life? That's exactly right. I basically give, um, it's called you know, the Ten Commandments. I kind of borrowed from uh, Moses there, but basically ten ways to intertwine spirituality into your fitness programs. So different you know, thoughts to think about, different things you can do while you're lifting to really kind of allow that be somewhat of a monastic experience. You're going into an area that this can be a place of prayer. It just has to be done correctly. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. Jared, I'm going to take away from this conversation a couple of great points you've made. Uh, First of all, for men to realize their masculinity, they should join a men's group. That's a great insight. It reminds us of Jesus calling the, the 12 apostles and getting on with the work of spreading the gospel. The other thing is, your idea of the new asceticism, I like that, because it's taking stuff with people already doing in everyday life, and you're saying, hey, there's a spiritual dimension to this. If somebody wants to have Jared Zimmerer come and speak about these great topics, where do they go? They can go to jaredzimmerer.com, and also Facebook and Twitter. Jared, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Father.